Welcome to State House Soundbites, WITF's Pennsylvania Politics Podcast. I'm Katie Meyer, State Capitol Bureau Chief for WITF. You can hear my reports on public radio stations across the state. Uh, it's Friday. It's around 11 a.m. We're in Little Lamps. And, uh, gosh, we did have some stuff that happened this week. Just a couple things. Finally. So we, we're kind of done with the budget. Not totally, but maybe. No. Uh, what's the situation, Steve? Well, the um, House put the finishing, supposedly put the finishing touches on it on uh, Thursday by by passing this massive gambling expansion bill. All, all other code bills related to the budget have were already sent to the governor's desk. He has ten days to sign each of those bills, depending on the date that they actually hit his office. Mm. So. Um, Yesterday, his office said he's, the governor is going to take his time and review them. They didn't talk about any specific bill. The governor's office did not. So they were just talking um, in, in totality about that. So we'll see what the governor has to do. I can't imagine him not signing these things because I'm sure he wants this budget process over as much as possible. Yeah, four as, months is what we've been doing this for. Right, and it's really not over. The The governor still has his um, bond that he wants to take out from the Liquor Control Board. I don't see him stopping that yeah. bond, and I don't see why he would. Interesting. So, I mean, and I want to go back, because you mentioned that big gaming expansion. We're going to get into that in some detail, but uh, the rest of this budget, you, the code bills all passed this week through the House. It's really almost all borrowing um, and some fund transfers. So $1.5 billion out of the $2.2 billion shortfall is going to be through you know borrowing against that uh, tobacco settlement fund uh, that the state has. So that's most of it. And they're going to pay that back over 20 years. The rest of it is you know fund transfers that Wolf has to decide which ones he wants to transfer out of those special funds i think it's 300 million for those so that's kind of not pleasant for him well uh, it, it's it's not pleasant for him but however the legislature really did um abandon its its constitutional rights to uh control the purse strings on that one yeah they said governor go cut x amount of dollars part of that is political the legislature never wants to wear one of those cuts however they also gave the governor the ability to to cut whatever he wants right. so if he, he could turn around and just you know line item certain things uh in some legislative districts in which lawmakers have been the biggest thorn in his side so, yeah, so there's sort of like a two-sided thing to that. But I think the upshot of it, too, is, you know, these funds do generally go to constituents. And whenever those get cut, there might be a lawsuit. And at the top of that lawsuit is going to be the governor's name since he made those cuts. So, I mean, not pleasant for anybody. But then there's also some very minor tax increases on fireworks and online sales. They don't make a huge dent. Uh, there's some uh, internal stuff like the Joint Underwriting Association a group. Uh, they're taking around $200 million from them. Them. Last year, that group sued to keep that money. Um, probably going to see issues with that again. So all in all, not a budget with a lot of recurring revenue. In fact, the main source of recurring revenue is this gaming expansion. And it's not even, you know, in the context of this budget, it doesn't make that much money, does it? No. The estimates we've seen are somewhere in the $200 million ballpark, depending on whose specific figures you're going on. Um, but that makes some assumptions. That makes the assumption that people are going to want these mini casino licenses. That makes the assumption that um, online gambling will have a certain amount of success. And there's sort of this 
underlying assumption also that there's not going to be some court case that stalls this. Um, yeah. We would not be shocked at all if certain folks in the industry decided to challenge various parts of this gambling bill. And whether that would hold up just those parts or the whole thing, I think it's entirely too early to tell. Yeah. Also, I, f- I forgot to uh, introduce the two of you. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, maybe I'll go back and edit this. Maybe not. But um, with me are Steve Essick of the Allentown Morning Call. Thanks and- <laughs> for having me. Belatedly. Belatedly, thanks for being here. And Liz Navratil from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, maybe we'll fix that later, but uh, for now, we'll just know that I poorly planned this episode of the podcast. Um, all right, so anyway, as we were saying, yeah, there's there's a lot of questions about the funding for this. Um, and there's also been this sort of overarching question of how much money can you get out of gambling, mm. period. Um, I asked Frank Dermody, the House Minority Leader, yesterday how confident he is in these $200 million estimates. And he had said, you know, it's probably the best we can do. It's from appropriations staff and um, Department of Revenue staff. But, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, at some point you hit a maximum amount you can get from gaming. And have we hit that point? He's, he said he guesses we'll see. Well, as, as far as it relates to possible lawsuits, there is a provision in the bill uh, that says if, if any piece of this legislation is challenged and challenged successfully, that does not kill the entire bill. Right. It's called a severability clause, so there are always that type of things in here. So say if um, a, a uh, like Hollywood excuse me, Hollywood Casino in the Harrisburg area, for example, is already threatened to sue over these buffer zones. So the uh, bill says that a, a mini casino could open, but it can't open within 25 square miles of an existing casino. If the existing casino is from a different group, right? Well, no, no. no. So if if it is, uh, if the mini casino is, um, if a mini ca- a mini casino cannot open within 25 square miles of an existing casino anywhere. Okay. So Hollywood Casino says that. That we're, we're by ourselves in central Pennsylvania, so that 25 square mile radius is 25 square miles. But in eastern Pennsylvania, where you have casinos in Philadelphia, in Bucks County, in the Lehigh Valley, those those that 25 mile square radius overlaps, and it creates a much larger buffer zone. And they say that that is illegal because it is singling them out. On its face, their legal argument sounds kind of silly, but it's not when you delve a little bit deeper. It's very similar to what Mount Airy Casino claimed and claimed successfully in uh, state Supreme Court when they said that the state's uh, local share tax, it was either since 2004, casinos had to give either 2% of their gross revenue, if I said that correctly, or $10 million, whichever was greater. Well, it was always $10 million because no one ever had enough revenue to hit that 2% mark. Right. So although every casino had to play by that book, Mount Airy said, hey, that is a bigger piece of our revenue pie because we're not as, su- as successful. And the state Supreme Court ruled that, yeah, that's correct. Right. It's unfair. So Hollywood Casino could, ha- could use that same argument. And mind you, I'm not a lawyer, but common sense says that they can 
use that same argument in court and probably win on yeah. that issue. And so, and you bring up a good point, the both of you, because these are, I mean, this bill was hundreds and hundreds of pages, and it's an incredibly complicated thing. There's some carve-outs for specific areas, for specific casinos that aren't apparent when you're just reading through it. So lawmakers really, I think a lot of them were upset that they had gotten this bill on such short notice. It was pushed through the House pretty quickly. Um, so, I mean, is there anything, like, going through reading this stuff that you have seen about this bill, about this measure that has you know, surprised you, or do you think you, you mentioned some of these lawsuit possibilities? Anything else you think is going to be a big problem here? Um, I mean, I don't know that I've identified one particular yeah. problem, but I do think you touched on a really important part there about all these little things that are talked within the bill. Um, for example, they, they kind of write it in almost like a foreign language. They start talking about Category 4s and Category 2s, right. and you might see it applies to this category except in this circumstance in this county where there's this other category. Yeah. And then that you look and it like can only apply to one thing. And yeah, so right. I mean, have yeah. you seen anything like that, Steve? Well, yes. I mean, the, those are the c- categories that Liz were, was mentioning goes back to the 2004 law, whereas a Category 1 casino in Pennsylvania is any casino with a horse track, whether it is thoroughbred or harness racing. A Category 2 is a standalone big casino like Sands Bethlehem uh, in the Lehigh Valley or, or Mount Airy in the Poconos uh, and in a Category 3 are these smaller resort ones. There's only two of those and that is uh, one in Montgomery County and one in Fayette County. So um, a, a lot of the, the legislation was geared specifically to each of those and specifically um, there, there's a big part of, of this gaming bill that is called the local share tax that yeah. that, that I um, talked about a little bit ago. And that was, by the way, that problem arose over a year ago. I think it was like September of last year it started coming up, and they've yeah. been trying to fix this for months and months. Right, and and um, the, the local share tax basically said a, a, any municipality or county with a casino in their borders, they had to get that $10 million bucks or uh, 2%. Thing. And um, so when the state Supreme Court shot that down, it was figured it would be a quick fix. You know, legislature just said, okay, we're just going to make them pay them a straight $10 million fee. Well, every lawmaker who wasn't around in 2004 and doesn't get a share of that local tax then wanted a piece of that pie, and they held that up. Right. So a lot of places, a lot of rural places that didn't have any casinos, they didn't care what happened to places in the Lehigh Valley, like Bethlehem, for example. You know, the the morning call covers them, so I'll keep talking about the Lehigh Valley. Yeah. So um, that local share tax represented roughly 13% of the city of Bethlehem's $75 million budget. That's a ton of cops. That's a ton of other municipal workers. That's some bonds, some borrowing that they would have had to uh, do in order to hold that back. So I think what the legislature did in this massive gambling bill was to create these mini casinos and spread them out to these rural areas as best as they could or hope to in order to give those local areas more of the local share tax because if you operate one of these mini casinos you're still you're now obligated to pay a local share tax yeah in the hopes that that will win over some votes and i think that did win over a lot of votes 
Yeah, and so now then I do want to get into, because these mini casinos were one of the most, I think, complicated parts of this legislation, but they're not the only thing. This bill um, legalized internet gambling. It legalized um, gambling in airports. They're going to have these, like, tablets that you can play games on and win money. Um, and one of the most contentious part of this was VGTs, video game terminals, and those are going to be available now in truck stops. Um, and there's some specific laws around that, but I do want to talk briefly. I mean, VGTs were just the thing that was holding up this stuff for so long. The house was all in on VGTs. Uh, big casino, like gambling industry, the companies don't like them because they think they take revenue away from them. Uh, you know, a lot of Republicans say good. They don't want those companies to be getting so much revenue. Uh, the Senate was, I yeah, know, uh, Steve's shaking his head. Um, the Senate was very against VGTs from the beginning. Um, and so, I mean, it was really just a, I don't know, it was sort of a prolonged fight over these things. Um, so, I mean, what have you seen with that, Steve? Or Liz, I mean, one of the things to keep in mind on the whole VGT issue is you have sort of the the philosophical issue: Do we like VGTs? Do yeah. we like gambling? Um, but also behind the scenes, between lobbying and political donations, you have a lot of money being poured into either side of the issue. Yes. Um, were you going to add something? No. Go ahead. No, because I know you and Angela had done a story about the lobbying behind all this stuff, We right? did. We did. And I'm embarrassed to say I don't have the story with me <laughs> with the exact figures, but you can find it on philly.com or postgazette.com. Um, but a lot of people thought this was sort of a huge driving factor behind it. Um, of course, some of the leaders will tell you that's an offensive notion, but um, <laughs> a lot of the rank-and-file members will also say they think that played a, a role in why yeah. this was such a large sticking point. Yeah. Um, and I think there's also, and Steve had touched on this a little earlier before we started, um, this idea of if you start allowing VGTs in limited numbers, does that open the door for them to come and expand down the line? Sure. Yeah, and, and uh, for, for the story I, I wrote yesterday for, for today's newspaper, uh, I, I talked to some casino industry experts uh, in Las Vegas and New Jersey, and they said, yes, once they're – once – the door is open. VGTs eventually will be in bars, restaurants, that sort of thing. Because as one person said, once casino, once gambling starts in a state, it never recedes. It only expands. And that's going to be true. And you, you, you see that throughout the progression of gambling in Pennsylvania. In 2004, Pennsylvania, it was only slots. Shortly thereafter, they had um, table games. And now you have, within 13 years, a, a what what is arguably the biggest, most expansive ga- gambling expansion thing in one shot in the country in a long time. Yeah. And right now, I think we are the state with the second most gambling in the country. That was the statistic I had seen. So yes, we'd be second is. to Nevada, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, so that's significant. Um, and for people who weren't in the capital, this... I mean, some of these ideas had been floating around for a long time, but this actual bill in this format went the whole way through in less than 24 hours. Yeah. And, and a lot of the stuff that that was in it had been talked about before, like the uh, VGTs, as Liz said, that the House was all in on that. The Senate said no. And so this compromise with, with just some truck stops is is part of, the way to give the House some of a win, but also give the Senate. So it is part of that compromise. And I, I don't think they're um, 
I don't know if there's that many casino uh, truck stops that actually fit the bill in right. Pennsylvania to be able to do this. So right. It I mean, be interesting. there were kind of questions about where they could be. Um, a lot of people said they're probably only going to be along what, like the throughway or something. I think they have to be on Turnpike property. Yeah, at the somewhere. Turnpike, I think. And the, 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 there's something else that that that's kind of interesting about this is. Uh, Pennsylvania's casino industry is 13 years old right now, but they are probably, in my time covering the capital, the only major business interest that is not a unified business interest. They they all have their own separate lobbyists. There's no unifying, overarching lobbying group like there is for the gas industry or agriculture or anything else, really, and that plays into to their problems you know they they get you know beat up all the time in the legislature you know lawmakers are always trying to take more and more and more tax them more expand it more and part of that you, you saw that also because as liz said you know the or, uh, every casino except one was against vgt's and that one that was one of vgt's is hollywood casino in the harrisburg area right because they own a VGT outfit in Illinois. And ironically, Hollywood Casino looks like it, it's going to face the, the biggest financial hurt as a result of this bill. So um, it is kind of interesting that you don't see this this unifying force be behind a massive industry that arguably is one of the most successful in Pennsylvania. It gives generated 3.2 billion dollars last year yeah and that is unbelievable amount but yet still i always come back to this house speaker mike terzai once said during this entire fiasco that casinos should not have a monopoly on gambling what That's, who else is gonna have it? exactly <laughs> that's their business model i mean should should shell not have a monopoly on the cracker plant out west i mean the whole thing was just crazy but it is an example of, of what is wrong with the state's casino industry is they're, they're not unified right and um i do want to i just to pull this back to, to the impact that this is going to have in the budget we we got into this a little bit before but i think it bears repeating um as you said it's a you know billions and billions of dollars are in this industry and it does make a lot of money for the state but this particular expansion which is like i don't want to undersell it it's a huge expansion in gambling in pennsylvania it is not going to make us very much money um, that's the thing. And these things are always sort of overstated when we have them in budget uh, you know, proposals. The House originally said this was going to make maybe $300 million or $265 million. We're going to get maybe $200 million out of it. That's what's kind of earmarked for it before, and it's possible there's going to be less. And that's mostly with new licensing fees in the first year. The year after that, we're going to get probably half of that money, if, if that. You know, it just – it you know, decreases by a lot the second year and then thereafter. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I, ha I heard this question asked, and I don't know if I've gotten a satisfying answer to it. Like, was this a necessary part of this budget? Either one of you. Well, um, <laughs> you know, uh, was it necessary? That's in the eye of the beholder. Sure. I mean, there's, um, we, we saw that the House was not, uh, willing or able to raise any taxes. No taxes. Um, that goes across the board. The Senate passed a bipartisan bill to 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 raise some utility taxes, put a severance tax on natural gas drillers, that sort of thing. That those 
those ideas weren't going anywhere in the house. And then the house, when they came up with their hotel tax and another tax that's slipping my mind right it was now. It a warehouse tax. Yeah. Uh, that, Both of which bombed very rapidly. Yeah. yeah. So, so they weren't willing to do this. But the, the $200 million mark that, that they earmarked in this budget, we've seen examples before in, in Harrisburg as it relates to gambling where, where – the legislature and a governor will, will put a dollar amount on paper and say, all right, that $200 million is going to close this budget, and it never holds up. Right. You see it all the time, whether it was a small games of chance bill that was supposed to raise a, over $100-some million, and it's probably generated $4 million in uh, total since, since it passed. So, And I, I spoke to an industry expert in, in Las Vegas who said – the online gambling component of this has too high of a tax rate, 54% for, for Internet slots. This industry expert said that the um, studies and reality show that, that casinos can't make any money on Internet gambling if the tax rate is above 20%. Interesting. So he's, you know, he said that it ain't going to happen. It's going to be cost prohibitive for casinos to open up. And he said, online poker is just a small slither of the overall online gambling market, and that's not going to be enough to make up the difference. So it sounds like there's not a whole lot of good news about, you know, our revenue prospects here. Um. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot of either rank-and-file folks or industry folks who were saying, even before the vote occurred, we don't think it's going to actually bring in $200 million. Yeah. And the question then is, did they slap that number on so the balance sheet would all add up, or... Yeah. They actually think they could get that and had perhaps overly optimistic hopes, or maybe they'll surprise those folks and actually get $200 million. And so that kind of brings us back to, like, why did this have to be part of the budget? I think part of it was, you know, they've been trying to do a gambling expansion for several years, like literally four years, but in the last year especially, they put some money in the last budget that they did for gambling. They never actually passed a bill to get themselves that money. And so this is really a continuation of a fight that we've been having for a long time. And I think a lot of people almost just felt obligated to put it in there. I think there's also the factor that there was no other recurring revenue other than some very minor tax increases. So, I mean, do you think that's a good summation of why this ended up being in here? I mean, certainly. I think... um Dave Reed had a sort of interesting speech the other night on the House floor. Um, Some Democrats were trying to postpone any action on this, and some Republicans as well, um, saying they didn't feel they'd had time to vet it. And um, Dave Reed, who, for outsiders who aren't familiar, is the House Majority Leader, um, basically said something to the effect of, if we don't do it now, gambling's not happening. If we don't get it through this week, forget it. Um, And, of course, encourage them to vote for it. So I think there was sort of a this-is-our-last-best-shot dynamic being pushed in the House. And I think you also have to keep in mind, what do your leaders want? I mean, Mike Terzai and Dave Reed have made no secret of the fact that BGTs are a very important issue for them. And depending on which caucus you talk to, some will say the House Republicans had been the biggest stumbling block, perhaps, in getting everyone to come together. Yeah, for sure. Anything else you want to add? No, I think that pretty much sums it up as far as that um, issue of the budget is is concerned. I don't – it was really – it was – 
I don't want to knock it too too much because they did. This is a big deal. It's something that they accomplished. And 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 you got to give the legislative leaders those who um, those who put this together tried their best to compromise and get you know get the industry's perspective into this thing, but also get every individual lawmakers perspective into this. You know, it's very important for people in the Lehigh Valley or Delaware County or Bucks County to fix that local share. It was very important to some people in the House to get some sort of VGTs. They got that. So if you look at it as a compromise type of thing, which everybody in the public says we want to see our government compromise more, then then it is uh, a worthwhile bill. But sure. whether the dollar amounts actually add up, that's going to be a – I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting is sort of a newer reporter on the scene, not having seen this before – there was this whole buildup and the stress and tension of, are we going to have a budget? Are we not going to have a budget? Who's fighting with who today? Who likes who today? Um, and then we had this big, huge vote that everybody says seems to be the end, but there was no applause from either chamber. There was no um, hollering, screaming, <laughs> nothing like that. There was sort of almost... Um, this notion from all of the different caucus leaders of, you know, this was the best we could do and we don't like everything in it, but yeah, nobody felt this was the best we could do. Everybody's equally unhappy. Is that <laughs> yeah. The, that's the upshot. And that's the definition of compromise, isn't right, it? Right, yeah, right. No one's going to be happy. However, you know, I, 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 I want to come back to something yeah. I, I, I did mention is, um, you know, Governor Wolf still has this LCB bond out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I don't trying to read the tea leaves, which is what we do really as part of our job, is I don't see the governor stopping that. You know, there's a, now a lawsuit, an amended lawsuit to say that he can't do that. Um, but, you know, why would he stop it? That's the, that I don't see him doing that because if you think about it, if they do the, the tobacco bond, that covers last year's um, deficit. Right. If he does the LCB bond, He's got money for next year's budget, and he could walk in and on February, in February, when he has to give his budget address and say, level funding, I'm out of here. Right. Yeah. So just to clarify, so the LCB bond is the Liquor Control Board. That's the state-run liquor industry. And this bond is something that he kind of proposed almost as like a a last resort option when the budget looked like it wasn't going to get done anytime soon. This would securitize the liquor industry, basically borrow against revenue from the liquor industry again for like 20, 30 years. And well, we'd have to pay it back over 20, 30 years. We'd get the money up front. So uh, this was also, you know, a politically divisive thing in part because the Republicans, especially in the House, have long wanted to privatize the liquor industry. Right. And this would keep them from doing that, most likely. Yeah, because who's going to buy the state's liquor system when there's a $1.2 billion bond attached to it? Not me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It also allows the governor going into an election year to turn around and and hope, and on his end, hope to not have another prolonged budget fight with the with the legislature yeah. over this thing. And next year's an election year. Exactly. So why would he stop it? Hmm. Now, the only question with that scenario is if you have that money lying around, does that in any way take some of the heat off of your severance tax efforts to try and get a tax on shale drilling, which I, Wolf has said he's still pushing for, but I, the I odds of them pass, passing that in between budgets, what do you think? 
Absolutely not. Not yeah. an election year. I think he and his administration and, and the Democrats in general would rather just just you know say level funded or close to it or whatever in uh, in an election year and hope that that the Republicans in the legislature also going into an election year don't want to battle again. So you know they borrowed. This year and the tobacco money, they borrowed next year. So who's going to argue you can't borrow, you know, because the borrowing plan as it related to the tobacco money came from the Republicans. Yeah. Um, I think this is like the upshot of this is it's going to leave a bad taste in everybody's mouth. This was an unpleasant budget process, and they had gone in trying to be a little bit kumbaya about it, but they just could not get anywhere. And so this is a plan that even the people who put the plan together have said, and we've mentioned this before, that... Nobody wants it. Nobody likes it. Nobody's okay with the idea of borrowing that much money to fill, you know, our debts. But that's what we can do. That's what we can get votes for. Actually, I find interesting, too, is uh, in my time covering the legislature uh, and the state government, I always heard, you know, lawmakers or staff or the governor's office say, once we have a spend number, you know, the, do- the dollar amount everyone is willing to spend to cover expenses and maybe anything extra in an annual budget, the rest is easy. You know, and that didn't happen this year. <laughs> so um, well, yeah. I, I think it changes, it changes the way that they're going to have to go about budgeting. They're yeah. going to have to agree on how to pay for something before they, they try and do what they did this year, which uh, Senate Majority Leader Jake Corman says, in hindsight, was a mistake. It did not work, and, but it is going to be part of their whole calculus of how they do this in the future. Yeah, and that's kind of the last thing I wanted to get into, is whether this kind of nasty impasse that we saw, not as bad as the one in 2015, but still pretty bad, um, you know, whether this is going to change things going forward. You mentioned Jake Corman was pretty decisive in saying, like, listen, the way we did this this year did not work. It seemed like a good idea at the time to pass a spending plan to continue spending and then, you know, get the revenues done later. They really, like, they sincerely thought that this was going to be a quick fix, quick turnaround, redo the revenues the next week or something, and it just didn't happen. They, they did not have the votes for it. They didn't have support for one plan. Let, let, let me ask you guys this. Um, let's do a quick um, scorecard. <laughs> Who won, who lost in this God, entire they process? All lost. But no, politically, actually, you politically know who, who won, politically who lost. You know who won? It's that conservative contingent in the House. I think House Speaker Mike Terzai was very successful in fending off a severance tax, fending off any tax increases. And he really is. He's kind of the, the spearhead of all that stuff. He's been very vocal about what he opposes, what he supports. You know, there is a very strong, if, you know, a minority portion of those people who really, I think, they said, fine, good, this is what we want. Um, But yeah, what do you think? I mean, as polarizing as Mike Terzai can be, I don't think anybody questions his ability to pull together that conservative group within the House. Um, And there's no doubt whatsoever in my mind that they were very effective. Um, Now, how this plays out politically, um, we're still waiting to see if Mike Terzai is running for governor. That's always (laughs) the big question. And so I get the question of who wins and who loses probably is going to vary drastically depending on whose shoes you're standing in at the given time. It doesn't seem like he's going to run, but, you know, he could change his mind, I guess. But, yeah, what do you think, Steve? Well, I I think the um, House Republicans won. Yeah. I think Governor Wolf, in a way, won. He got nearly a $32 billion budget. 
including mm. some extra education funding that has always been sort of dear to him, one of his right. yeah. um, key he, issues. He did get more funding, I think, than the House wanted to give yeah. him. He got um, this LCB idea. I think he's going to roll with. So I think he won on that. I think if you're going to look and say who lost politically, I think uh, the Senate Republicans lost politically. Yeah, they're hanging they, out there with a severance tax vote. They, they they were hanging out there with a severance tax vote. They were also hanging out there with a utility tax vote, and so were the Democrats who, who, who went along with it. However, if you were to look at it maybe morally and ethically who won, I think the Senate Republicans won because they had the guts to say – the emperor has no clothes, and yes, we need money. So this whole thing is going to – it's going to repeat itself, maybe not next year, but in 2019 and, and in the ensuing years. So if someone's willing to to really, really cut spending or really raise taxes, that's when it's going to come come together. Yeah. And I think just sort of the optics of it are interesting. If you watched on the Senate side, there were a lot of times when you saw the Republican and Democratic leaders – literally standing right next to each other. Um, while that might have happened occasionally in the House, I don't think it happened to the, with the same frequency that it did in the Senate. Yeah, I think there's no question. The Senate presented a pretty unified face in this. They uh, kind of... That, I think the best way to say it is they did step up. They compromised, and that's something we don't see a whole lot anymore um, in our state government and just generally. But the House was really just a loggerheads for most of this process. I mean, there was so much tension going on in there. Oh, right. And it's a, um, the Senate is part of the compromise. You know, they you had Republicans, you had Democrats go along with a budget plan earlier. And then you had House Republicans say they, they gave up their supermajority. We need a majority of the majority to yeah. pass anything. And that was the problem there. They weren't willing to compromise with the other side or the other chambers. I, I think, and to put a finer point on that, because um, that's a really interesting point you raised, Steve. I, I mean, the, so the question of the supermajority. So the House um, was basically criticizing Senate Republicans for making that compromise, for saying, okay, we don't have all the votes for this. We can't have our entire Republican supermajority support this plan, but we can put up just enough votes to get a thing passed. And House Republicans were almost, like, looking at that like it was a conspiracy or something. I Really, that was how it was being presented. They were saying, like, this was sort of an outrageous thing for Senate Republicans to have allowed themselves to do. But that is the definition of democracy. <laughs> well, clearly, as we saw, that's not a necessary component of getting a budget passed, ultimately. <laughs> it didn't end up doing very much. Um, and it was a sacrifice for the Republicans to do that. So... Uh, you, you saw, you know, that's kind of the overarching dynamic that we saw throughout this process, the Senate being sort of the grown-ups in the room, the House having to put up what they could put up, which ended up just being borrowing. Um, and that being said, the Senate is significantly smaller than the House. They so are. it probably is a little easier to wrangle in. Yeah, the bodies work differently, absolutely, right. and they always have. Oh, uh, yeah, but however, uh, we, I'm sure if you look at the um, lawmakers' Websites, their press releases, that mm. sort of thing. They mm -hmm. will be sending out press releases touting programs in their local district that they voted against. So, you know, they're going to have their cake and eat it too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Um, anything else you guys are watching in the next couple of days? I mean, the big question is, is the governor going to sign the rest of the budget bills? Right. And I, I think, as we said earlier, it would be a huge shock if he didn't. But... I don't like to count on anything <laughs> happening in Harrisburg until it has already happened. Right. Well, we, we, um, 
election day is coming up. Yeah. And, and we do have... Uh, we have judicial elections. We have judicial elections, and there's one seat on the state Supreme Court, uh, one Republican running against uh, one Democrat. Um, currently, the, the makeup on the court is, um, I think, five Democrats, one, one Republican. So whatever the outcome is in November, it's still going to be a larger block of uh, Democrats on the court, but that that's going to be an interesting race. You also have, uh, I believe, two seats on Commonwealth Court, and I forget the number on Superior Court. However, that uh, that is an important race, and you also have all your local school boards, townships, that sort of thing, where, yeah. you know, those those type of elections for people that don't know it are actually more important to your bottom line dollar so so if you haven't been paying attention to the election or you didn't remember that there was one coming up consider you know reading a little bit about that we're all doing some stories on that in the next week or so so uh you know make sure you go out and vote on november all right uh guys i think that about does it for this week's podcast thank you so much again liz navardil of the pittsburgh post gazette steve essick of the allentown morning call Thank you for coming down. Thanks Thanks for having us. us.